Uh, so, uh, like Gil said, my name's Wes. I'm our pastor here. Really glad that you've joined us. Um, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, still employed at Crossbridge. Yes, good job by me. Um, so, uh, we, I actually lied to all of you last week, so I should start by saying that, because last week I promised we'd do a final week of our existing message series we were doing. We ran into some scheduling conflicts for worship next week, and Kane was going to preach, and he's like, man, this message sucks, so let's just act like it never even existed. So, so we're going to talk about Jesus this week, so yay! So I know you're all like, man, I can't wait for this. Who is Jesus? Can October 23rd be now? And your wish is my command. So, uh, so here we are. So as you can see, who is Jesus? We got a real, we, that's an actual picture of him. We found it on Google, turns out. So um, anyway, so we're going to spend the next uh, six or seven weeks talking about uh, who, who is Jesus um, and talking about uh, just probably the most important figure I, I think that ever lived. Like, I don't think that's a, Honestly, I don't think that's like a religious statement. I just think that's honest and true, you know? Like, like even if you're not a Christian, even if you have no interest in being a Jesus follower, like, I, like, I mean, if Jesus ain't on your top three or your top one, I would say, like, come on, bro. Like, what are you doing, man, you know? So, um, so I kind of feel like this is a huge question for all of us to grapple with. You know, if you ask me, I think it's a question that all of eternity kind of hangs on, honestly. But even if you don't share that persuasion, like if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're checking out our church online, I think you owe it to yourself to really investigate who the person of Jesus is because I mean, he's the most important person that ever lived. You know, like you, don't, like you certainly wouldn't want to go through all of your life without knowing, you know, kind of firsthand, hey, this is who I've decided who Jesus is. This is, this is what I've decided Jesus is all about. You know, I think you owe it to yourself, whether or not you become a follower of Jesus, uh, to think about this question of who is Jesus. And so over the next six or seven weeks, uh, we're just going to talk about uh, different, um, you know, kind of different ideas of, uh, of things that Scripture reveals to us that Jesus is, that Jesus does, that Jesus came to establish, and uh, hopefully end it with a chance for you to actually become his follower, if that's kind of your next step in this series. So um, today I want to talk about identity, and I want to center around this question of what is God like? Okay, what is God like? Now, I think all of us are asking this question uh, to some degree or another. Whether or not we would say it, whether or not you even know this is a question you're asking, I think we're all asking this question of, what is God like? Um, I think we've all had the experience sometime of, have you ever met someone and your first impression of them was like way off and you later on, like show of hands, anyone, anyone, Bueller? Okay, all of us have done that, right? And like sometimes it's way off, like you thought they were a real jerk, and then you're like, oh no, not a jerk actually. Or you're like, man, this is the greatest person ever. And you're like, wow, I wish I had never met you actually. <laughs> Some of you are like, you described my last boyfriend, my last girlfriend. That was really great. Anyway, my ex-wife, you know, I don't know, whatever, right? You described them. Um, I think all of us, right, that question of identity and of who are you and, and what are you about is really huge. And when we make we sometimes make misjudgments, and it kind of shapes the way we view or see another person. Uh, about a month ago, I started uh, mentoring and tutoring kids at Oak Ridge Elementary School, where we used to meet. Um, the greatest educational mind of our generation right here, in case you're wondering. And um, I, I'm not making this up. I, I didn't pay these kids or anything, okay? But I told them, okay, all of you, I want you to tell me something about yourselves. You know, tell me about your life and what's your favorite sports team and favorite color, favorite food, you know, whatever. And they all went through. And I said, okay, 
I'm going to tell you all that stuff about me. And at the end, each of, I have four kids. I, I mentor five now, actually. I was like, okay, at the end, you guys each get one question to ask me, okay? And so I finished my little spiel, you know, I share all the stuff you'd probably expect for me to talk about, you know. And which basically just, I'm married to, I'm married to this woman. I was like, I just have to stare a picture of my wife for, you know, because they're like, wow, it's so beautiful. How'd you do that? So I'm like, I don't know, but it happened anyway. So, um, so anyway, I, I did my explanation and I, hand to God, the first question the first kid asked was, did you ever play Division I football? I said, I know my athletic bod might, you know, make a, like, clearly all-star quarterback or whatever. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers, there was a guy named Jared Lorenzen who played at Kentucky. He was a quarterback, and they called him the hefty lefty because he was, like, a left-handed, and he, like, weighed, like, 300 pounds. And you see this guy, like, it looked so weird. That would be me on the football field. Anyway, I was like, no, kids, I didn't play Division One football or Division Eight football or however low you want to go. I didn't play it because I'm not, you know, a football player. And so the next kid asked, did you ever play Division I basketball? <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, I do, I do have to beat down agents on the regular, you know, trying to recruit me to go to Duke or, you know, Kentucky or wherever. But no, you know, I haven't done that. And, uh, and I was like, you know what, kids? I just, I haven't played any Division I sports. Now, I, apparently I was very sporty that day, you know, giving off a real athletic vibe, you know. So then the next kid's like, hey, do you know LeBron James? <laughs> I was like, no, I do not know LeBron James. I grew up in Ohio. He and I are about the same age. You know, our lives took kind of different pathways, you know, but pretty much the same, you know? And I was like, no, I don't really know. And then the fourth kid was like, do you know who, Co do you know Kobe Bryant? Like, do you, do you, are you friends with Kobe? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not friends with Kobe. Uh, anyway, so apparently I'm, I'm very, I, I, without knowing it, to fourth grade boys, I give off a very athletic vibe, you know? So I know you're probably intimidated by that about me, right? But it kind of, you know, it kind of shaped, like, I don't know what made them think that some all-star athlete was coming to be their, you know, tutor this day, and not like, oh, I passed through a church in midtown Tallahassee, you know, or whatever. But they, they had kind of like, uh, after I burst their bubble and let them know, yeah, it's just a plain Jane, you know, 34-year-old white guy, you know, that's all I am, right? You know, like it kind of kind of reset the relationship a little bit. They kind of started to act like, okay, this guy isn't a celebrity, you know, he's not an agent, right? He's like a normal guy, and and then they, you know, start acting crazy or doing whatever. So there, you should pray for all four of these kids, five of these kids, because you know I'm their tutor. So anyway, um, but that idea of mistaken identity, right, affects how they see me. Affects how we see other people sometimes, right? It affects, I think, how we see Jesus. And getting back to that question we started with of what is God like, I think God kind of suffers from an identity problem in our culture, because all of us kind of have a different viewpoint of what God is like. Some of us, when we think about God, you might think about him like the cosmic watchmaker, right? He, he set all this stuff in motion. He got it going, you know, and he's just kind of standing far off and letting this thing run its course. And, you know, yeah, at some point he should probably step in and we need like a servicing appointment, you know, and get, get some stuff ironed out, some kinks done. You know, we're probably a little overdue for that. But, uh, you know, hey, he's just kind of, he made this stuff and now I kind of stepped away and he's just kind of doing his own thing. Others of us, we think about God and we think of him kind of like a kind grandfather. You know, we think about him, he's like, oh man, I just want to see the, good, the kids having a good time, you know. He's kind of lost a little on his fastball, but he's kind of good-natured and loving and, you know, just kind of, oh, have fun out there, kids, you know. 
Some of us, when you think about God, you think about the exact opposite. You think about God as like the cosmic nun, you know, and so like God is always at attention, ruler ready, you know, just to slap you across the knuckles, you know, when you're acting out or doing whatever. Some of us take that step forward and you think God's just like the cosmic killjoy, you know, God is like the constant Southern Baptist picnic, you know, it's just like no fun, no car. It's like, it's like living in the town from Footloose, you know, where it's like no fun ever, no dancing, no cards. We don't drink, we don't chew, we don't go with girls to do, you know, like that's kind of, that's God's, you know, God's got that on a poster, you know, that's like his Facebook status right now. It's just, it's been that since, you know, eternity basically, right? And that's how we see God. Some of us, when we think about God, and I think this is huge in our culture today, I think this is probably the number one thing, we think about God as cosmic Oprah, you know, like, like God is just up in the sky, and he's just kind of hyping us up, and, and we like it because sometimes God gives us like free stuff, you know, like I can look under my seat, and there's like keys to a new Tesla, you know, or whatever it is, and, and like I really like for God to do that, you know, and, and God's just kind of here to be my eternal hype man and make me feel good and, you know, kind of give me a little dose of encouragement and that kind of thing, and, and that's how we see God, right? And that's how we think about God, okay? What I want you to understand is whatever your view of God, or if you believe there is a God at all, right? Our idea of what God is like carries implications. It matters. It does certain things, okay? Number one, it shapes what my goal of life is, okay? That, hey, if God values this kind of thing, generally in my life, I also tend to value that kind of thing, right? That if God's goal of life is to bless me to the greatest extent, then my role is just to chase after every single blessing I possibly can, and who cares what happens to you, you know, like, because this life is about me, right? And that leads me to very kind of selfish behavior. If God's goal is to help me realize my greatest potential in this world, well, what that means is I'm going to chase after that, and I'm not going to be that shy about throwing off and casting aside anything or anyone that I don't feel like helps me reach my greatest potential in life, you know, and I kind of shed that and just walk through that, right? If you kind of think that, hey, there is no God, and I don't think there's a God, right? Well, hey, that shapes how I chase after and what I chase after in my life, right? Because all of a sudden, it's kind of like, well, why do I care about morality? And why do, like, yeah, maybe I have these notions of how to be a good person, but ultimately, at the end of the day, those are just kind of human conventions, right? And I kind of, kind of do what I want, decide how I want to live my life, and chase after whatever I define as kind of the the end goal of life, you know? Our idea of God carries implications and also, you know, kind of shapes not just what our goal of life is, but shapes what matters to us. It shapes, it shapes our, our, our end destiny that we kind of see for ourselves. Um, I want, want you to take a look at this picture. This is a picture of, this is Janae Iko, okay? Janae Iko, she's like a real famous R&B singer. Uh, she actually my birthday twin. We were born on the exact same day in 1988. Again, much like me and LeBron, slightly different career paths, okay? But that's okay, okay? And, uh, but Janae Ike is like an R&B icon. She, this is a picture of her singing. I think she sang like America the Beautiful or something at the Super Bowl last year because she's from L.A. And, and it was in L.A. And so they did that. Um, anyway, so uh, Janae Iko, like if you follow her on Instagram or wherever, like she's super huge into like, signs of the zodiac and eastern mysticism and like all this kind of stuff and and like you know very like love and peace and meditation and and you know all that kind of stuff she just she just started doing these things like these sound healing concerts or whatever they're kind of interesting and she's into that thing that maybe you've seen where like people have the 
the big bowl and they take the stick and they rub, they rub it around, you know, and that like makes my life better somehow, you know, like she's all into that, you know, and that, hey, cool, whatever. But what's also weird to me is like, if you listen to any of her music, like girl knows how to write a breakup song, you know, and she has like a song called Triggered. And it's basically like, listen, I'm a mess you up. Like, like I, I'm a, like, when I get mad, I get big mad. I'm going to, I'm going to take a crowbar to the headlights of your Tesla. You know, I'm going to do what, well, it's kind of like, wow, how did this like little 80 pound Asian woman who's like all about peace and good vibes, like all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to mess you up, you know, and you, you're going to rue the day you messed with me or whatever. Right. And whether that looks like, Hey, I'm going to like tear down my ex's car or whether that looks like I'm going to flex on my ex and my Model X, you know, or it looks like, hey, I'm going to post a bunch of memes about, you know, peace and love and all that, right? What ultimately I kind of figured out is, hey, you know what matters the most to Janae Iko is kind of protecting my peace, my inner peace, right? And if my inner peace is, is furthered by meditation and whatever it is I do, great. And if my inner peace is furthered by flexing on my ex and making them feel bad and showing how much better I am, great. And if my inner peace is protected or helped along by, you know, me taking the crowbar to your front door, then, hey, I'm going to do that too. You know, I'm not going to hesitate, right? But that, that kind of idea of, hey, this is what life is like. This is who God is. This is how life works. This is how God works. And so, hey, I'm just going to be cool with that. Here's what I'm driving after. If our view of God ultimately shapes what matters to us, if it ultimately shapes what the goal of life is, here's what's true, is our idea of God ultimately shapes who we are. It shapes the people that we become. And I'm not trying to judge, you know, your view of God or anything. I'm just trying to offer you, I think, Scripture, what the Bible says to us about who God is and what God's all about. But I think this idea of, of who we think God is, it ultimately shapes who we are. It's why the psalmist in Psalm 135 can write these words, Psalm 135, 18. Those who make them gods will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Right? The idea of, hey, I tend to become like what I worship. And, and I tend to become in the image of whatever it is I kind of set my highest priority on and my viewpoint on and my, my life on. My, my soul has a way of just kind of fixing itself to a target. And in the end, I kind of become like the things that characterize whatever it is I'm fixed to. A guy named uh, Robert H. Gundry uh, wrote this book called Critical Commentary on the New Testament. If you are having trouble sleeping at night and you're like, man, I don't have the money for melatonin, just pick up a good old copy of Critical Commentary on the New Testament because you're going to have a real good time reading that. Let me tell you, read it like 9 p.m., you'll be out. Uh, anyway, so here's what uh, Robert Gundry writes. He says, in polytheistic religions, that, that's a lot of words, uh, in polytheistic religions, the gods and goddesses engage one another in competition, jealousies, rivalries, battles, adulteries, murders, deceit, and so on, right? If you've studied Greek mythology, any of that stuff, you know, you know the whole deal with that, right? Since we seek to become like what we worship, as in the current worship of celebrities called stars and idols in popular culture, that's kind of an interesting way to, you know, like I don't think about it that way, but those are kind of worshipful words. The worship of those gods and goddesses encourages such behaviors instead of discouraging them, right? Who cared about goop until Quentin Paltrow came along, right? Like, like who, who was all about that life, right? No one, no one was like, man, I want to slap some mud on my face or whatever it was, right? Until she did that. On the other hand, a god who alone is god and is only singular, who within himself is non-social, 
That kind of God tends toward sheer power untempered by what we call social graces. He becomes, in short, a despot. So when his worshipers gain power, they tend toward despotism. By way of contrast, the God of John's gospel, that's what we're going to look at today from Scripture, being within himself social as well as singular is both the God of love, as in John 3.16, God loved the world, and the God of unity. Jesus writes that they, or I'm sorry, Jesus says, not writes, that they, talking about his disciples, may be one just as we, you know, he and God are one. Now, that's just a whole real fancy schmancy way of, of me telling you that I read a hard book this week. And it also is a fancy schmancy way of me telling you, hey, this has been true for thousands of years. That, that we become like what we worship. Our culture tends to kind of, we take our cues, right? That's just kind of what we do as human beings. A.W. Tozer in his book, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, he, he sums it up this way. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the reason it's the most important thing about me and about you is because, again, it determines and it decides kind of ahead of time, what are the things I care about? What am I chasing after? What am I going after? What am I, what am I okay to do? And so today, I want to talk about Jesus and specifically this claim uh, that Jesus made, as I've said from time to time, Jesus is God in a bod, okay? Like, that, that's what he is, you know? He's God in a bod. He wears bod cologne, probably, you know? And so he is God in a bod. And that claim is really important um, to us because, again, we become like what we worship. And so that reason is why Jesus' existence in a body, in, in space and time, in this world is so important. Because Jesus ultimately came to communicate and to demonstrate what God is like to us. Okay? Jesus came to communicate and demonstrate what God is like to us. Jesus came to give us a picture of what God looks like so that when our lives are fixed upon God, right, we actually have a direction to move in and a direction that works toward the good of the world and toward human flourishing as opposed to any of the other objectives that we can chase after with any of, any of the other gods that we end up worshiping. Um, I'm going to read from uh, John chapter 1 this morning. It's literally the first chapter of John, so if you want to follow along, you can do that. John writes what's called a gospel. Um, and so a gospel is, just means good news. It's basically a biography of Jesus' life. Um, John, we're pretty sure the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were all written roughly around the same time. John's probably was written a couple decades later on. And I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I always kind of feel like, hey, John, John, John had read the other three, and he's like, hey, they got all the basics. They, all, they got all the stuff, okay? I'm going to give my own unique spin on Jesus and his life, which is why you know, John covers a lot of material in his Gospel that the other ones don't share, because I think he was kind of like, hey, I'm old, and if I die, all this information is dying with me, and so I just got to get it out there for public consumption so people, you know, know more about Jesus. And so John, you know, he, he probably read, you know, Luke, and he, he was like, oh, yeah, I read that, that sweet little intro with, like, the shepherds and the wise men, and, yeah, that'll be really good when, like, Peanuts Christmas Carol thing happens, you know, like, Linus can say that at the end, it'll be really touching, and they can do the thing with the tree, you know, and it all gets better, right? That's really cute, that's really cool. I want to take a different tack. I want to make sure you understand from the very beginning that you understand who it is we're dealing with here. And so John writes these words. John chapter 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
he was with God in the beginning. So immediately we start by thinking, who in the heck is this word guy? You know, okay. Take it from me, it's Jesus. You'll see why in a second. Just kind of, if you can float me, like 10 minutes of trust, okay? I promise I'll show you it here in a second. But in the beginning was the word. That word is the Greek word logos, logos, um, which is kind of a weird word because it had a lot of associations with it, okay? Jewish people saw the logos, uh, referring to the word of God, as just basically, it's the revelation of God. It's the working of God, right? And so the logos is kind of used to describe God either when God would speak and say something and reveal himself, or when God would like do something and he would act and kind of reveal something about himself as well through that process. The ancient Greeks had a bunch of definitions of logos, but basically they kind of understood the logos to be like the life force that kind of sustains the world. They kind of talked about the logos the same way that people in Star Wars talked about like the force, you know, it was kind of like that. That kind of idea was what they were going after with that. And so John is, I think, trying to play on both of those ideas and say, hey, I want to tell you about this, the real logos, Okay. And this guy sustains the world and keeps the world going. And this guy is the exact and perfect revelation of God. He starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning, which takes us back to another in the beginning. Okay, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know the very first three words of the Bible are in the beginning, right? And basically it's the idea of before anything was, God was. He was there. He was doing his God thing, you know, whatever that is. He was there in the beginning. And so from the immediate beginning, John wants us to understand, hey, we are dealing with someone who, who is cut from a different cloth than we are, someone who is actually there in the beginning. He preexisted the world, okay? He, he, was, you know, he was there before anything else was there. He shares intimacy with God, right? In John chapter 1, he says the word was with God. With is way too weak of a word. Because that word with carries the idea like intimacy with it, right? The idea is like two people whose faces are turned toward one another, okay? It's the idea of people in close, intimate relationship. He is God, okay? Uh, John is laying out for us kind of one of the first kind of pieces of the Trinity, okay? And Because I like to commit, you know, like to make my job harder. I'm going to try to explain the Trinity to you in like 30 seconds. That's going to be a really great idea. So if you're theology police, if you're online, don't email me, okay? Because your explanation isn't going to be any better. So we're going to show, yeah, there you, this is cynic right here, cynical. Okay. I think we have a chart that we can show. I don't know if it's going to show up very well. Oh, there it is. Good. See? So the Trinity is this idea that we have three persons who are all God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? They're all three distinct people. They have three distinct responsibilities or roles or however you want to think about that. They are all God. And in fact, they're not just all God. They're all the same God, right? The Trinity is the idea of the three, three persons in one Godhead. And the best explanation I know to explain this is like an egg, okay? So an egg has three pieces, right? You got the shell, you got the yolk, you got the white, right? But yet they're all egg, okay? They're all, you know, like they're all part of the egg, right? And sometimes we even, we even refer to eggs, but we don't actually mean the whole part of the egg, right? So like if I ask my wife, hey, make me some scrambled eggs, please, like, I don't have to specify, please with no shell. I don't want the whole egg, just like two-thirds of the egg, you know? Like, can you do that for me, right? I like to bake macaron. There are those whole, like, sandwich cookies. You use egg whites to make those, okay? But if you ask me, does this have egg in it? I say, yes, right? But it doesn't have all three parts of the egg, right? It's got just one part, but it's still 
egg, right? Wasn't that the greatest explanation of the Trinity you ever heard right there? Yeah, that's so good. Just letting you know, seminaries, I'm open for a PhD. You know, if you just want to give me an, because I don't want to work for it, just give me an honorary one and I'll teach a class or whatever. Anyway, so that'd be the whole class too. It'd be 30 seconds. Students would love it. So this idea, John's kind of introducing, hey, all these, the word is God. God, the father is God. You know, we're, God, the Holy Spirit, he's going to come in here in a second. He's God too. You know, he's like, hey, don't forget about me. You know, and so like he's in there, you know, and so we, we just got God kind of chilling and it's kind of a weird thing about God that we don't think about a whole lot. But like when we think about God pre-existing the world, you know, which I know you probably do every Tuesday, you schedule in like 15 minutes just to think about that, you know. Like we think about, it's like just God, right? But it's actually not just God. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so like they're all kind of hanging out, chilling, doing, you know, chatting about whatever they do. I don't really know, right? But it's like the idea, I think what they do is they just hype each other up. Like, man, isn't the Father so awesome? Oh, Holy Spirit's like, but Jesus, you're pretty awesome too, man. Like, I think you're pretty sweet. And Jesus like, well, I think you're pretty cool, Holy Spirit, you know? Like, and they're just kind of all hanging out in relationship with each other, which is really cool because it makes the Christian God unique in that God is not just like one entity. God is also like social, God is personal within himself, which I think when we're told in the Bible we're made in the image of God, part of what that means is we're social, we're personal, we care about others because God has kind of that social dynamic built into himself, okay? I'm getting a little above my pay grade right now, so we're going to go back to the Bible. John chapter 1, verse 3, John continues on. He says, through him, through the word, through, through God the Son, through Jesus, all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Okay, so, hey, God is a creator. The, the word is responsible for creation and everything that's created somehow kind of bears his image in some way, okay? John continues on. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, okay? Now, I want to focus on this because we miss this. This is plain in front of our face. When we hear light and darkness, we, I, at least me, I go to thinking like good and evil, right? I go to thinking like this is light and darkness, right? You know, like, like if you ever watched a movie and the good guys were wearing all black and the bad guys were wearing all white, I'd be like, I don't know who to root for now. You know, like, like what, am I, what am I supposed to do? All my tropes about, you know, fiction are messed up now, you know, whatever it is, right? But we have the, this kind of like associated like that we make, right? And maybe there's some truth in that and maybe John's pointing us to some of that. But just think about like at a very fundamental level, what does light do? It illuminates stuff. It, it, it shows stuff, okay? Um, my wife and I had COVID a few weeks ago, and uh, my wife, her sleep schedule hasn't quite returned yet, and so it's like 8.40, and she's like, man, I'm, I'm wiped out, you know? All this knitting has just got me, yeah, it's got me done, you know? And so she'll go to bed at 8.40 or whatever, you know? And, uh, it, and so I'm like, okay, well, I got like two hours left, so, you know, YouTube it is, or I'll do whatever, right? And so I'll come up, and it's like 10, 30, 11, 10, you know, whatever time it is, right? And I'm walking in, you know, and because I'm a good husband, right? I'm not like, well, I'm going to turn the light on, you know, like that, that wouldn't go well for my marriage, right? So I do what any smart husband does. I walk around in the darkness, 
and make a lot of noise that wakes up my <laughs> wife, right? Because I'm walking around and I'm trying to like, I'm like groping around, like trying to find the bathroom door. And, the, and I swear, our closet door is not full width for a closet, and I am a full width individual. And so, like, I find where the closet is, I'm trying to take my shirt off, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And, like, I just can't do it, you know? And inevitably, I, I, I just find myself wishing, man, if there was just the tiniest little sliver of light, right, I could see what I'm doing here, okay? Don't miss this. John says Jesus is the light. He illuminates. He shows us what's really there. He shows us what God is really like. He shows us what I, what we, what our world is really like. Because he is the light. And when light comes, I can't help but see what's there. And that was actually like a theme of Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus would come, he would kind of expose something, and people would be like, well, Jesus, I don't appreciate you saying these truthful facts about stuff. I hate you, right? And Jesus would be like, well, maybe instead of being mad at me, you should like change. You know, no, that sounds way too hard, right? None of us have ever done that with God before, right? None of us have ever been like, no, the problem is you, God, not me, you know? Like, come on, let's turn that down a click, you know? Light illuminates, and Jesus illuminates, which can be extraordinarily helpful. It can also be extraordinarily painful, right? But John says, make no mistake, part of the identity of who is Jesus is he, he came to illuminate some stuff. Now, John then goes off and he talks a little bit about uh, this guy named John the Baptist, which makes it really confusing because John the Evangelist writes this gospel. John the Baptist is another John who's also Jesus' cousin, but basically says, hey, John came along and John was like, the, John the Baptist was a hype man for Jesus. He's like, hey, you should follow this guy, you know? And then he gets back to Jesus and he says this, I'm so thankful for Liz's communion thoughts earlier because she saved me about five minutes out of my sermon. She said, uh, she said this because John said this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Like Liz said, that word is literally he tabernacled among us. We'll come back to that in a second. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Okay, This is how we know the word to which John is referring to is Jesus. Because he talks about God coming down and putting flesh and skin and bone on, right? He says he tabernacled with people. Now, if you're a Jewish person, that means something to you. Because the tabernacle, when Israel was taken out of Egypt, right, when they were saved from being slaves and Moses was leading them out of, the, out of Egypt and they're in the desert and they're wandering around, and even for the first you know, several years of their existence in the promised land, the place you would go to worship God was called the tabernacle. A tabernacle is basically just a big tent that they set up, and it was basically like a, a temple on the go. You know, it was a temple in a box. You know, they kind of just set it up. They go wherever, you know, they do whatever. But it was the place you would go to meet God. Jewish people saw the tabernacle as the place where heaven and earth actually touched one another. Like, like if you were to walk into the temple, you were, you were walking into the sphere of heaven, Okay. Sometimes we're told that when Moses would go in and meet with God in the, in the tabernacle, 
it would be like covered with this cloud, right? And it was kind of, it was like the sacred, holy thing. Like if you saw cloud around the tabernacle, you stayed far away because you didn't want to get crispy crittered, you know, or whatever is going to happen to you, okay? This is the place where God meets, meets humanity, okay? And what John says is the word is the place where God tabernacled, okay? Like you thought the tabernacle was cool, Wait till you see Tabernacle 2.0, a.k.a. the Word, okay? Because this is where heaven and earth meet. This is where humanity and divinity find the fullness of expression in the Word, in the person of Jesus. This is another allusion to saying, hey, Jesus is God, right? John wants to leave nothing open for debate. He keeps going, and he says this is radically offensive, he says, out of his, meaning Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law that was given through Moses, I'm sorry, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, hey, you thought the law was good. What Jesus is bringing is so much better, right? You know, this, like, this is kind of like the equivalent. Imagine if this Christmas, you know, like Christmas Eve, you came in here, and I got up on stage, and I said, okay, guys, we're doing something different with Christmas this year, okay? Christmas, we've normally celebrated Christ. You know, it's kind of in the name, you know, Christ Mass, you know, okay? It's going to be, we're just going to call it Westmas now, right? Like, 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 because, I mean, Jesus was good, but I'm so much better, you know? And so we're going to do that, and you're going to set up a tree, and we're going to sing, oh, you know, oh, you know, we're going to sing like, oh, little, instead of little town of Bethlehem, it'll be little town of Bexley, because that's where I grew up, you know? And so we're going to change all the words, and we're going to do that, you know? And we're like, because, hey, the better thing is here, you know? Like, that's kind of my thought, right? That's how an early Jewish person would be like, I mean, Moses is a guy you don't throw shade at if you're a Jewish person, okay? That's not, that's not something you would just be like, hey, you know, hey, Moses gave us the law. That was good. Law was gracious. That was God's grace at work in us. But let me tell you, grace and truth come through Jesus, right? Like that's been, that's been delivered to us. Again, John is like saying, hey, this new thing that's coming, like you thought, you thought Moses, you thought the law was godly. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because something new and something big is here, right? This is kind of like, I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but it's like a few years ago when Donald Trump was president and he would like compare his poll numbers to Abe Lincoln's poll numbers and he'd be like, I'm the greatest, I'm even better than Lincoln, you know? Now, I'm not trying to be offensive to Donald Trump, but like, I feel like I would probably rate Abe Lincoln a little bit higher on the, on the like, I don't think that's too controversial a statement, right? Like, that's kind of what's happening here, right? Like, like John, is, John is laying out, like, no, this thing is, like, way better, you know? Like, this is way, like, like there was not even a comprehension for what John was doing because he's just saying, hey, something better's here. And then he finishes and he says this about Jesus, and, and we'll wrap up here. No one has ever seen God. In fact, you could never see God. That was kind of the point. Like, God is so holy, right? Like, you can't see him. Except for the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, who has made him known. Now, that bolded phrase right there, it's literally, in the bosom of the Father. Right, the image is God the Father is kind of like, you know, a mother with like a newborn infant, you know, and like you just kind of automatically hold him up to your chest, right? Like, like I got to be real with you guys. 
there aren't, there's maybe one person I would assume that position with, and I would feel really awkward about that. And the person's Alex Bayo in the back, just in case you're wondering, no. But like, like that's pretty intimate. And John says, if you want to know how well the word, if you want to know how, how close God's son is with God, let me tell you, it, it's right here. He, he is in the closest most intimate relationship possible with the Father, which is exactly why he is the most able to show us and demonstrate to us exactly what God is like. This was brand new. Jesus recruited, you probably know, 12 disciples. Later on in the Gospel of John, they have one final dinner together, and Jesus starts basically like he is just throwing the kitchen sink at him because he's going to be crucified soon. And he's kind of like, okay, guys, we got we got full lesson plan today, okay? We need to dive in. And he starts talking, and from about word number seven, the disciples are like, what is happening here? And Jesus is talking. He's talking about how he's going to go to the Father, and he's going to prepare a place for them. And he's going to do all this stuff. And don't worry. You guys know the way to where I'm going. And it sounds like we do not know the way to where you are going, Jesus. You're going to have to help us out, okay? And eventually, I imagine just out of exasperation, one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named Philip, says this. Lord, Jesus, just show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus' response, I imagine almost teary-eyed, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Normal people don't say stuff like this. Normal people don't go, hey, you want to know what God is like? Looking at him. But Jesus is trying to say, if you want to know everything God is like, just look at me. I got gotcha. you. I can help a brother out. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is God in the bod who communicates and demonstrates exactly what God is like. He is, he is God and Abad. The, the Gospels leave no room for us to, to waver on that. Who communicates and demonstrates exactly what God is like to us. Now, here's what this means. When I look at Jesus, I am looking at the Father. And likewise, when I'm looking at the Father, I am also looking at Jesus. If you ever wonder how God is going to respond to a situation in your life, in life in general, in the world, just look at what Jesus did in a similar situation, and you, you know now exactly what God would do. And vice versa, when I look at God revealed in the scriptures, God the Father, right? Anything God does, Jesus would do the exact same thing. Now, this creates a conflict for us, because I've been doing this for 12 or 13 years now. And what I've noticed is when I talk to people about God, we, we have really happy little viewpoint of Jesus, and we're real scared of God, right? Jesus is like the cool brother, you know? 
But God the Father is like the, you know, hey, he loves us, but he doesn't really like us, you know, is kind of how we see God a lot of the times, which I think actually does a disservice to them both. Because what's kind of interesting is, you know, we, we skate over a lot of the Old Testament, but like, just think about this. Think about the character of a God who, like, from the outset of his, his people existing as a nation, he was like, hey, I, I just want you to serve and love and honor me. And so <laughs> Israel was like, hold my beer, you know, like, let me, I'm going to kind of do my own thing, right? And God wasn't asking a whole much, a whole lot. He was just like, hey, could you just like only worship me? Hey, could you like just not marry multiple spouses? Hey, could you like not be like the, the prehistoric version of like Visa and MasterCard, you know, when you charge people low? You know, hey, could you like be kind to each other or whatever? And Israel's like, nah, not interested, right? And so God goes on for like 300 years, just like prophet after prophet after prophet being like, hey, God wants you to change. 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 And it's just like, nope, 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 nope. Nobody, nope, 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 nope. Oh, it stops to say, nope. <laughs> like not doing that, right? And for 300, if you're in the southern kingdom of Judah, 450 so years, God just keeps going through this pattern. Now, don't answer out loud because I'll know if you're lying. But like I've watched parents in our church deal with their children, and please hear, I love you to death, and I don't have any children, so it's easy for me to like parent your kid or whatever. But like I've seen us move from zero to 60 on our kids a lot faster than God did, right? For a lot lesser stuff. Like what, what, does, what do we learn about the character of a God who, who would be patient in terms of like half a millennia with his kids? That sounds like pretty patient and compassionate and kind and loving God in a lot of ways. And like, likewise, we soften Jesus a lot because all of us like to get Jesus on our team in America. But I remember a few years ago when I worked at a church in Chicago, I decided our small group was going to study the book of John. I thought like, oh yeah, this will be a great way to get to know Jesus, you know, or whatever. And I would like open up and every week, like the next passage we study, like Jesus is popping off on a new group of people and he's like, I'm like, Oh, Jesus, oh, that, oh, that felt kind of insensitive. Oh, that kind of felt really angry. Oh, you know, like Jesus is a lot tougher than I give him credit for. And what I think is interesting is when we look at Jesus, here's what we discover. My view of both the Father and the Son is, is very off. <laughs> but one of the most valuable questions we can take to Scripture is simply, what do I learn about the Father from the Son? And just thinking quickly over the life of Jesus. Well, we learn about the Father from the Son. Well, we learn he, that accessibility matters to God. That's why instead of him waiting up in heaven for us to find him, he came down to find us. We learn that compassion matters to God. We learn that God is okay receiving desperate people who have nowhere else to turn and have nothing in their hands to bring them, that's like God's A-plus material right there. We learn that God's definition of success looks different than our definitions of success. We learn that God isn't just on the side of the rich and powerful. We learn that God is for equality and for justice and for fairness. We learn that God is patient. We learn that God doesn't cut me off 
when I don't get it right away. What do we learn about the Father from the Son? Well, we can learn a lot of things. If we will look and we will ask. And the good news of this message is, chances are my opinion is probably wrong. But because Jesus, God in the bod, came to communicate and demonstrate what God is like, I can get out of touch with the fake God that I create and find the real one who's way better than I imagined. Lord Jesus, help us get in touch with the real God, not the version of you or the form of you that we construct or we create, but Lord, the real you who is full of grace, full of truth, the one who illuminates the dark spaces of this world and of our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray you would do that for us right now. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, we have discussion questions. And so if you want to think about these during the week, if you want to use them in a small group or chat about them with your roommates, you know, uh, whatever you want to do. But uh, question number one is simply, what do you think of when you think of God? What, what does that bring to mind for you? Question two. Uh, question two is, do you think that our view of God influences how we live our lives? We talked about that at the beginning. Why or why not? And if you do think it influences how we live our lives, how does it do so? And then question number three, what part of God do you think Jesus might be, might be trying to personally communicate and demonstrate to you? Uh, we'll have these questions online with our message and all that stuff after service. You can check that out, crossbridgechristian.com slash messages or uh, on our social media stuff. We hope those are helpful to you this week. Let's go ahead and stand. Johnny's going to lead us in one last song, and uh, then we'll hop out of here this morning.